longest sprint of your life, it doesn't matter. You won the stage, my man. Yeah, the women's race, a few riders trying to get away into a breakaway, but nothing able to stick all day long. It came down to a fun sprint to the line. This is Chad. And I'm Brad. And you're listening to the Chad and Brad Cycling Podcast. <laughs> now you say something. Check, check, one, two. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. All right. oh. we're, we're recording. Go ahead and okay. do your intro thing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chad and Brad Cycling Podcast. We are no longer in Reno, Nevada. I am. Thank God. Buttressed. In beautiful Charlotte, North Carolina, where the temperatures of robust 65 degrees. Brad is in Pittsburgh, where they just got done plowing his greenway, and he's did a four-hour ride the other day. So, Brad, are you happy now that you are now back home and away from the confines of Reno, Nevada? You know, I'm happy that I can walk in my house without having to smell cigarettes, which is, can't say that much about Reno, but, uh, you know, in a weird way, I kind of miss Reno. It was a fun week. It's kind of like a little brother. Like you know, Stock- yeah, a little yeah. Stockholm syndrome going on. Stockholm syndrome. You thinking about hijacking a plane or something? Is that know, what this just, is? You know, we're we're there long enough, and like it kind of kind of felt like home. I was just getting comfortable, but just we'll be back. Get... You know, we'll be back for uh, for interbike. So, oh, that's right. Lest I forget about uh, interbike. Well, uh, cross nets. I let's kind of go over you know the women's race first, and then and then the men race. Kind of do a recap on it. Uh, you were obviously on the TV production. I was on a live stage working with Scott Herman. Uh, you were with Meredith and Tim and all the uh, dignitaries that came in. And Give us your perspective on how the women's race – we did do a podcast. Let me circle back. And we gave our predictions. And I was Stephen Hyde and, of course, Katie Compton. And you tried to do the millennial thing and go completely against the grain and pick – I don't know who you even picked. Did it matter? Okay. In, yeah, I went with uh, Antono. Well, my my Keo, contrast picks were or uh, Keo. Yeah, sorry, uh, Keo and Tobin Ortenblad. But we all we all knew that Hyde and Compton were going to win. There wasn't any question. Although, all right, talking about the women's race first, and then we'll talk about the men's race. But right. the women's race was, you know, as always, kind of a snoozer. Once once Compton gets away. Uh, I didn't expect it to be Ellen Noble that would follow Compton for the longest. I certainly thought Kia would be there longer than Noble. So that was a, a pleasant surprise to see Ellen have such a good ride. I mean, that was about as good as I think she could have asked for. Uh, doesn't get much better than that in terms of hanging with Katie Compton. So, uh, yeah, you know, I always talk about dominant athletes in a way. They're great for the sport, and in a way, they're horrible for the sport. Um, Is you know, she Tom Brady? Well, I mean, she's great for the sport in a whole lot of ways, but um, making races, at least the domestic races, thrilling certainly is not one of them, Um, which, you know, what are you going to do? Ask her to slow down? Like, it's not like we can falter for it, but um, it's just an observation. And I really liked what she said before the race. She was basically like, hey, I'm going to lose eventually, you know, and I should lose. Is it this year? I don't know. I'm going to keep racing as long as I can. But that begs the question, you know, does she do what? You know, Bo Jackson and Michael Jordan and 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 uh, um, Brett Favre do, you know, retire and then unretire. Yeah. You know, go out on top. But when is the top? I mean, you've won 40 in a row. I mean, what is she going to be 60 and still doing this? 
like the Masters Ju- National <laughs> Champion and the Elite National Champion, Katie like, Compton. Be like Julie Lockhart. Yeah, I did. The funny, funny thing though, I did talk to her just before the podium, uh, and and I said, um, she said, Chad, I heard you when I bobbled on the hill, and I started panicking. <laughs> And you could see that I said, did it change your celebration? She goes, no, it didn't change my celebration. She just said, I didn't expect to have to do a VO2 interval to finish the race. Yeah. Because I tell you what, she was getting closed on fat. I, I'm telling you, if it had been another lap. Yeah, true that. I, I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, it was literally 150 meters between them at the end, and I thought it was going to be a minute. I think she let off the gas a little bit at the end, too. I mean, I think she was taking it a little easier, uh, as one can when they – have such a lead but um yeah and i think we as commentators are also a little guilty of maybe exaggerating the drama oh, sometimes did. you know <laughs> she was like what did i just do that was so bad that chad was over there screaming like, sometimes well, sometimes 30 story. seconds looks like 15 seconds when we're trying right. to try to make a story about a leader getting caught but um yeah you know compton wrote a perfect race it was awesome it's always a pleasure to watch someone who's the best at what they do do what they do um and we saw that from Compton for sure. I mean, master class, no mistakes, pretty much perfect race. Yeah. I mean, I outside of one little bobble, which, of course, really wasn't even that much of a big deal. Yeah. According to her. I mean, it was over um, 14, right? That was her 14th, yeah. Crazy. Absolutely yeah. insane. All right, let's flip over to men. Stephen Hyde, back-to-back national champion. Hartford, Connecticut last year. Reno, Nevada this year. The men's race, however was a completely different story. Dude, Hyde gets credit, but my ride of the weekend was Jeremy Powers. Jeremy for Powers. Sure. I had no idea Powers was going to be there. He sucked this year. He was terrible. I mean, just did not have a good season for you know various number of reasons that were outside of his control. It happens. You know, it's a bad season. It was mostly health issues. Um, but, yeah, holy crap, man. Hung in there just, the entire uh, race. No, not, not only did he. Not hung in there. Dominated just, the entire yeah, race. Yeah, he was just riding on the front the entire yeah middle third no two-thirds of the race it was just like well you know what how can we creatively say that jeremy powers is still on the front yeah for sure i was uh yeah i was blown away that was awesome and then of course the fact that they raced all the way to the line you know makes it that much better but yeah that was a really surprising performance uh for me from jeremy um and i think a lot of people would say oh you know we're not surprised we knew that he was targeting nationals whatever um but yeah, just based on what he was doing for most of the season, he really, really came good at the end of the year. That's for sure. Well, and the cool thing to watch him race too. Not only was he racing hard on the front, kind of like defying anybody to come around him, but whenever somebody would come around him, he would find a strategic spot on the course to leapfrog him again. It was just kind of yeah. like, all right, you got your punch. Here comes mine over the barriers. Here comes mine over the Belgian steps. Here comes mine in a chicane. He was finding unique and creative ways to get on the front and stay on the front. And it was, it was an interesting tactic because he didn't want anybody to work with him. He just wanted to just do it all. And yep. he literally pushed Orton Blad. He had pushed, you know, some of the other guys that were top five, top six, just couldn't hold his wheel, which was fascinating to watch. I like that course in Reno, too. It's such a fast, you know, you always hear like grass crit as a negative term for a cyclocross course. But like, I think a big part of what made that race so exciting was just the pure speed. Like the, the passes that we saw a lot of times were at speed on wide open grass sections. And like, I really liked it. I, I liked the fact that it was so fast and so exciting. Um, whereas a muddy bogged down course might not have been 
as close and exhilarating. So, uh, yeah, I didn't mind that they weren't quote unquote proper cross conditions. Well, we did ask Meredith when we were on the stage, I think it was you and I were talking or you might've been off for a coffee break or whatever. And, you know, I asked Meredith when she did a pre-ride on, I said, is this more suitable towards, you know, the Euro style slop fest that everybody wants and loves, or is this more of pack riding? And she says, Chad, the difference between riding it the day I got here and the difference I, I, it was when I was pre-riding the day of my race, it was huge difference because there was no freeze thaw. It was dried out. It was hard. It, was even, it wasn't even a little tacky, she said. And it made for, especially for the men's race, uh, a, a lot of pack racing. I mean, there yeah. was a lot. I mean, there were six guys still intact about a third in the race, and you very rarely ever see that. Yeah, and I mean, riding in a group, like they were really – you know, pretty much single file. It almost looked like a pace line without the people swinging off the front and going to the back. Yeah, no, no rotation. You know. It was Jeremy Powers on the front. Jeremy Powers on the front. Yeah, but what that, about yeah, – I mean, I guess – what were you guys saying on the broadcast? Probably the same thing we were saying on the stage. It's just like, uh, is he going to – not even looking for help. Yeah, not even know, looking back. Yeah, I mean, he rode his own race. It was cool. It was definitely back to – like the matchup that I think we would have seen closer to two years ago than the matchup that we would have expected this year when, you know, Hyde was kind of on the rise and Powers was the guy. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, now we have these two insanely evenly matched guys at the front of the men's field, which is awesome. Like, it doesn't get much better than that. If You know, if you've been watching the the World Cups and stuff, sometimes – yeah, well, it's pretty much over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it gets it goes back to the dominant athletes that we were talking about. Um, so yeah, we're really lucky to have that that matchup at the front of, Do you of two think... Americans. I wish they'd race. You know, I wish we got to see them race like that in the United States more. Um, right. But yeah. unfortunately, when they go race in Europe, they get separated. We don't really get to see that head to head battle in the field. Which, by the way, is a battle made even better by the fact that like these are two guys who are pretty good friends and like yeah. know each other train together they hugged it out um I, I posted on twitter this week like you know la- it was one week ago that these guys were literally you know fighting each other to win the national championship blow after blow after blow like and then here they were la- you know this week on a sunset mountain bike ride together like just wow. out cruising in the woods it was very like and it was like, man, for two guys that certainly raced like they hated each other, uh, you know, but obviously we know that they're great friends and training partners. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing how you can set that aside and race your bike for an hour and then flip that switch. In the end, though, I do think that Jeremy might have spent too much energy because when a tide attacked him on the downhill section before oh, the uphill. Yeah. That <clears> he was. He was he gassed on the last lap for sure. Yep. But why just not? Nailed. Like what? I mean, I, I, I'm all about it. Yeah. Like what else are you going to do? You know, he didn't know. He didn't know how he was going to be like, yep. I think Hyde had a much better reason to count on his fitness because he's been on such, you know, here he was on such good form coming up to nationals racing in Europe. Uh, and powers. Yeah. We didn't really know. He went to Albuquerque or something to train. Like he was just yeah. like, yeah, which, you know, Hey, paid off. That's why he in gets the, paid. That's why he gets paid to race his bike, and I get paid to talk, talk about, about him it. racing his bike. In the weirdest altitude ever for a bike race at forty eight hundred feet. For you, the yeah. for those of you who know, that's kind of like that weird kind of is it altitude? Is it not altitude? Well, Jeremy obviously felt that it was, and it it paid off because the guy <laughs> rode like a rock star. Yeah. Um, well, good. Uh, ironically enough, we will get uh, 
two for the price of one this year. Cross yeah. Nats will be in December. It sucks so. for all the people that won uh, jerseys this year. You yeah. get them for like 11 and a half months or whatever. Yeah. Bummer. See you guys next. No, see you guys this year in December. Where yeah. is it? I forgot. Oh, Louisville. Uh, no, Louisville. Louisville. Yeah, Louisville, yeah. Kentucky. So stay tuned for our next Cyclocross podcast coming up in just what? 11 and a half months from now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to road. Yay. Yay All right. Uh, well, speaking of road, there is one bike race that just completed, um, the Peter Sagan Invitational. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, before we get to that, speaking of Peter Sagan, did you see that he met the Pope? Have you seen this news? What? Yeah, so Sagan meets the Pope, gave him a palpable colored bike. Apparently yellow and white are the official colors of the Pope, which I didn't know. Uh, and a signed Bora Hansgrohe jersey. Like, how cool is that? Now so the, Pope, it, now the Pope's got the, a custom painted specialized in his size. So I should send him an invite to come to Total Cycles Training Centers and let's get him fit? <laughs> yeah, give him, a, <laughs> give him a couple classes and a free fitting, I think. I think, I think I'll send him an inter- interval program on Zwift. Could you see yeah. that would be like the best of all time? Him wearing a Bora, a Bora Hansgrohe jersey, world champion <laughs> jersey Swift. with his, with his, you know, with with his cassock on, and yeah. underneath he's got a bib. That's I want to see. I've got to see a GIF on this. Brad Stone, the, the king of all GIFs. I'll get. Uh, well, I would have to talk to the Zwift coders. I'd have to get them to write write it into the software. But I'll see what I can do. Can you imagine the Zwift field parting when the Pope comes through? <laughs> no, that's Moses. I know, but like, still, he's a. You know, they have like the the palpable processions where no people be people get out of the Pope's way. Okay, shit. That's all I, I'm trying I guess to say. That. But would have been better if it would have been like a um, a cardinal or. Um, you know, a priest in front of him. There you go, leading him through. The peloton, exactly. yes. Right. That's and then he's doing about. his wave. His domestiques. His, yes. You know, here's the priests, the cardinals, and there's the pope. On the pope, the the pope mobile junior. No, he'd be on the bike. I know, but it's not the pope oh. mobile. That's the glass covered car. Remember yeah. that they, yeah. So this is like a pope mobile two. So That's are we going to see pope mobile one? It has to happen first. If I can find any sort of video of the Pope riding a bike, I promise to make a video or a GIF for you or a GIF. I think it's GIF. GIF. I think it's a GIF too. But... Yeah. So that GIF. So we've got a. Maybe we could take it to Twitter. We want the Pope. We want the Pope. Yeah. Let's get it started by Sagan. Anyway. Crap. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Peter was kind to um, the Catholic nation, um, and he wasn't so kind to everybody down in Australia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tour down under, man. What are you gonna do? How about Caleb Ewan? He had a good, uh, good go at it too. But yeah, I mean, no, no real surprises from down under. I think that's probably the. Do you not think because the way that Sagan, he 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 wins in every way. So what they're trying to do with tour down under is change things up. You know, with Woodlunga, calling it the mountain stage, which really truly is isn't a really mountain stage. It's just a big hill. Sagan, no problem. The sprinters, no problem with that. Um, I, I, you know, in Richie Port, obviously that's a good story, you know, coming back from injury. Um, I, I just, you know, if you show up at a bike race and there's somebody like Peter Sagan, which there are in every single category, somebody that could beat you in every single manner, it's just frustrating. I mean, he beat out Vivani, you know, of course you were talking about Caleb, um, Gripel, which, you know, I don't know Gripel's form right now cause it is January, but Still respectable. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, from all on all accounts, you should be happy with where he is right now. I mean, it only it only looks better. I'm surprised he wins this early, but he does have to get ready for the spring classic. So that you know, obviously that yeah makes sense. I think Ohm Loop is his first race, like middle mm-hmm. of February or next race, middle of February, something like that. So yeah, that's probably a good good tune up. I don't know. You're the coach. Yeah, but how do you get? How do you tell an athlete to go to fly halfway around the world, race in forty cent uh, Celsius temperatures, on you know on roads that don't have anything or look anything or feel anything like um Hoop does? Yeah, the training. Tour down under is always from a coaching standpoint. Um, it's always been a very interesting race for me, and I liken it to I. I I've, when I'm up late at night working, I'm looking, I'm walk, watching the Australian Open too, you know. And it's it it's ten o'clock here, and it's one fifteen there, and it's it's ninety thousand degrees there, and it's freezing cold here. So I always find it this unique dynamic for us Americans to kind of watch and appreciate it because we're living vicariously in their summertime. So it's kind of unique. But from a bike racing standpoint, I I've never coached anybody that's been to the Tour Down Under, but I always find it fascinating. How do you get somebody? ready for that much heat uh you know uh, uh, a major stage race according to all you know whatever but just the competition i wonder how fierce it is and that's why i think that's a tour down under always sends a lot of sprinters because not everybody's stage race fit yet they're just get to the finish and sprint fit does that make sense to you yeah for sure uh yeah i mean you gotta you gotta pick your roster uh, the other thing is like heat training. Don't guys do? I mean, I remember before the World Championships in Qatar, they were like spending hours after their training ride in these saunas and doing dry heat training and like trying to, I guess, acclimate your body to heat. It affects it just like just like altitude, I guess. Well, not quite, but it it really affects. Like for me, heat really is disastrous. So if I'm going to do a road race or something in the heat, I have to prepare like a month or two in advance because my my when my core temperature jumps high. My heart rate just doesn't – it won't move. It won't do anything. And there are certain riders that perform really well in heat, and there are other riders that don't perform well in heat. And it's acclimatizing, just like you said, to altitude. It's a different physiology. But trying to keep – think of it like this. Trying to keep your car running fast when it's overheating, it's hard because your, your car is trying to fight to keep the engine temperature down. Same thing with NASCAR. It's the ability to keep that dynamic of that, keep it at the right temperature when it can perform optimally. And some some racers are way better at it than others. Like me, I'm terrible at it. And it's funny because I've lived in the South for all my life. But, you know, I remember the state championships many years ago when the temperature was like 115 on the concrete. And it was just like it was a 90 mile road race. And, you know, right at about 70 miles, my body said, you know what? Dude, I, I just I'm can't out. do this. I can't. I'm tapping. I can't do anything. Um, you know what? I've tried in the past, but um, really, the, the it's the intensity of the bike racing that precipitates um, your body's inability to keep the core temperature down. And if it's a hot, fast, hard race, then and especially if there's a lot of climbing on it where you feel like you're just baking, it's tough. And I, I, that's why I think, you know, I'd be curious to dig into the power files and some of the intensity factors of some of these races where I think that would be relatively lower at the Tour Down Under versus some something like the Spring Classics. Because, you know, it, it, conversely, in cold weather, it's harder for the riders to keep their core temperature up 
Whereas it tore down under, it's harder to keep the core temperature down. Um, I've always been better when it's 65 degrees and raining than I ever was in 100 degrees and just blistering heat and high humidity. Um, that's my style. That's me. And that's why I'd be curious to see you know, what type of training some of these guys did. My thought, Brad, come full circle, is that not a lot of them did a lot of heat preparation because they were still – remember, they were coming off of uh, – they come off the season in October. Then they're – you know, they've got to spend time at home, which most of these guys live in – you know, unless they were in southern Europe. It, but even the heat doesn't even come close to what it is in in um, in, in Australia. So I, I don't think they did a lot. Now, preparing for the world championships, that's at a different time of the year. And obviously they've had a lot of racing under the legs already, so they've already acclimated their body some. I think for a lot of riders, the only heat acclimation they had was like going to the beach in the off season and yeah, drinking wine and beer. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, there's something to be said for that too. I think it's a little crazy. You know, this is an age old argument, but the fact that we race that the season starts in the middle of January is a little crazy to me. Uh, One, I think there's way too much bike racing to start with. This is a unpopular opinion that I have. I think our, the, the season and the calendar is just way too long. It's too hard to follow. We've got too many top-level races going on at the same time. The calendar is just out of control, and it's a great problem to have that we have so many races at that level, but it, it makes it too hard to follow for mostly casual fans. Obviously, hardcore cycling fans can, you know, you can never get enough of the stuff you love. Um, but yeah, the fact that we we're, we kind of race in January and then nothing really happens until you know Ohm Loop and the Spring Classics. Uh, yeah, it's just a little bit of a bummer to me. The the tough thing about that is there are there are more than a handful of World Tour racers that live in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and Australia had the money to put together the Tour Down Under, and it's become a very popular event for a lot of bike racers. They enjoy going down there for their little winter reprieve. Um, so that begs the problem. That then becomes the onus of Australia and New Zealand to put on more bike races so that the riders can stay there and race their bikes and get ready for the Spring Classics. But yeah. that simply just hasn't happened. So it's that weird kind of dynamic where you have this amazing World Tour ra- it, it, To me, it's kind of like... Um, I kind of like it just because it gets me kind of sparked and it's ready like for the an, season. It's like an exhibition. It's not like yeah, it's part of the Yeah, I think you're season. right. It's like a yep. weird, like, one-off thing. A crit like, no, after the World Tour season. Yeah, like, whoever talks about Tour Down Under when we're in whatever, we're at Tour July. California in May or you're at the Tour in, in whatever, no one's ever like, oh, well, you know, we look back at his results this season at Tour Down Under. It's like, that was six months ago. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah, an exhibition. I, I, I think that's a good way to put it. So that goes back to your question. What do you think these guys are doing to prepare for the Tour Down Under? Nothing. Not not much. I wouldn't either. Nothing. I mean, who cares if you win the Tour Down Under? I mean, you got the Lantern Rouge of the Tour Down Under. Is anybody going to go look back at that and go, oh, cool. You no. finished last at the Tour Down Under. I would be very good at finishing last at the Tour Down Under. Maybe I should look into this. A little vacation. It is, to, uh, it is a cool race. I mean, it's definitely a, a fun race and would be a good race to, you know, just to go to. You get to pet baby kangaroos. You get to meet koalas. That alone is worth the 15-hour flight to Australia. But Can I, can I ask you a question? Why sure. are you petting kangaroos and meeting koalas? They do they do like a media day uh, and all the athletes. I can't believe you haven't seen these pictures. All the no, athletes I've seen them, but I think it's strange the that people are meeting koalas where you're petting a kangaroo. 
Oh. It's like you're putting the koala much higher up on the food chain than a kangaroo. I think koalas are cooler than kangaroos, but come on. They're mean. Yeah, I've, I've heard that, I guess. Mean. Just mean. not to, I guess just not to me. Look at that pretty little raccoon. It's really cute. Pet it. <laughs> no. Ask Chevy Chase. It's bad news. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, where did we just go? Wait. Uh, no, we were talking about koalas and why Tour Down Under is awesome. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say about Tour Down Under, which is really cool, is the equal prize money. Uh, oh, stepping super, up, right. Super pumped to see that. And it wasn't a little bit. It was like, I, it, I was like blown away how big the gap was. Uh, it was like $90,000 or something short to match the men's prize list, which is like insane in the first place. And second off, that they had like, I, and I, I think it was the, the, government that stepped government. up in its yep. government money that stepped up and put in this you know 90 or 100 grand or whatever it was like that's awesome you know good for them um so why do you think world tour teams go to australia in january well, yeah sure <laughs> they, want, they want their piece of the ninety thousand dollar prize list or, um, and even the women as well and i and i love that too because that's become a hot topic um domestically here in the united states because i know that there's been a big kind of shift in some of the you know even the men are starting to chime in in the united states going why are yeah, we not having more should. equality like this has been a big point of mine of like there's no reason that we can't have equal prize lists right now today starting at the next race but it takes the men to step up and give their prize money back to create those equal prize lists because the money is there it's just the way that it's distributed that obviously favors the men and uh, there's no reason that the men can't step up and say you know hey look we we want the women to race for an equal prize list and uh you know we we want to take whatever it takes from our our prize list and and give it to the women and make it equal i mean that's something that can be done right now it doesn't require any extra money any extra sponsorship but it's on the men's peloton to do that uh and i know that's a hard thing to say to ask them to give up significant chunks of money but it's 2018, man. There's zero chance of a bike racer going, you know what? I want to give my money to somebody else. Yeah, I know. Um, but I still think hey, Brad, it's like, you know. Brad, I think you should give me a little bit more money because I'm co-commentating with you. Well, if we were doing the same thing and I was getting paid four times as much as you, I might. You are getting paid four times as much. <laughs> I might consider <laughs> I'm four. I'm four times better at this than you, Chad. That's why. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll let that go with Twitter then. Um, <laughs> but no, I. You know, that's not an excuse. And well, that goes back to the same argument of like, oh, you know, men draw a bigger audience than women, so they should get more money. It's like that's not why. You know, that's not the argument for equal prize money. It's equal work for equal money, and women do the equal work, and they should get paid the same. Uh, and yeah, it might be up to the men to to step up to do that at some races if the race it, organizers don't. Is there because I knew that we were going to kind of touch in this because I knew we were going to come up and talk about uh, equal prize money and good thing from the Australian government to chime in and give that. Is it something where it's a top down thing? Is it because I agree, World Tour women riders should get equal prize money. What about on a local level or a regional level where a promoter puts out and does? For those of you who don't know much about Criterion Racing, in a local or regional event, if you're putting up $1,500 for the pro men, then you're putting up like two or $300 for the pro women. And there are some promoters throughout the country that will do equal prize purse. 
then fifth, and then the women will. And again, this is more for discussion. This is not my opinion. This is just discussion. I, want, I don't want anybody flaming me about this. But there are promoters that then will do that, put the money up equal prize purse. You'll have 115 men show up. All the women will be complaining, and then 10, no, 15 women will show up and race. Yeah, and the men I mean, will be like, "What the hell? There's 15 women racing for the same amount of women. I mean, money that we are." So it's just where do we start it and where do we stop it? You just start it. It's that's an easy question to answer. It's not going to change. That fair? Yeah, absolutely. It's not going to change overnight. You know, it's not going to we're not going to grow women's sport and create gender equality in one season by requiring uh, equal prizes, but it's about creating the opportunity for women to race if they want to, so that you know they can make a living racing their bikes. And granted, if you're doing a regional race where the difference between nine hundred dollars and fourteen hundred dollars for the prize list really matters to you, like it does. Sadly, y- it does. Yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about you're you're playing on a pretty small playing field at that point. Um, you know, if that's where you're, if if that's the the battle that you're fighting is over six hundred or eight hundred bucks or whatever on the prize list, but um, yeah, I mean, it's not about the number of people that that it draws. It's not about the number of people that compete. It's about equal opportunity uh, for those winners. You know, for the top five or top ten or however many people get paid uh, to get paid the same for the same amount of work. I mean, they're out training in the rain just like everyone else. They're you know, not eating cupcakes just like everyone else, doing everything that it takes to be a pro bike racer, and they should be rewarded for that just like the men. I find that a fascinating stance because you and I have gone over several podcasts about paying to play, bring in marketers, bring yeah. in money, bring that in. But this if is not put it, this is de- this is not a business decision. This is a right and wrong. Dis- I mean, it's a oh okay it's an ethics. Decision. I'm sorry. Oh. All right, so now we're talking ethics versus business. When it, I mean, when it comes to business, like I'm, you know, I'm all about get yours and screw everyone else, but not at. But the, you're playing on both sides of the field now. No. Yes, no, you are. No, not at all. I, I, this is a, this is something that is, uh, that I think is incredibly important and should trump any business argument at all. To say, you know, this is the right thing to do. Forget the the marketing impact of it or you know what it does to the business model of cycling it's just the right thing to do and that trumps everything and you know if it means the men's professional peloton has less money floating around and maybe it it takes a hit on the men's side for the development of the sport so be it i mean the the value of creating an equal work environment for women is way stronger than any marketing or investment money that you know could possibly benefit the sport in general as a man myself who has two daughters and puts on women's cycling camps i completely and utterly agree with you but you are in a position now in your young career of professional commentary where you have the potential to i i don't want to say grow the sport but you do you have an influence to where you could grow the sport just the way that me and some of the other commentators have helped grow it but you're coming at it with a different perspective you've got the marketing aspect that you're trying to pull in you're trying to put wait hold on let me finish you've got a series that you might be trying to put on if you go to a sponsor which you are completely competent of doing and you say hey I want to put on a bike race series. I want drones. I want fireworks. I want the whole shebang. Then they're going to go to you, and they're going to say, where's our biggest bang 
for the buck. You're going to say, yes, you give $20,000 to the men and $20,000 to the women. You've got this multi-million dollar company that's going to go in and vet your proposal to see what the value of the return of their investment is. Yep. And you're going to tell them, hey, guys, I want to give 20 to the men and 20 to the women. Here's why. It's because the men's fields are much bigger. The races are different than the women's races. You might only have a third of the women show up for this, but I still want you to give 20K and 20K. That's going to be your proposal. Yeah. Bull. I Half of the world is women and half of the world is men. So I know that. You're going to argue the Half argue of your consumers are women and half of your consumers are so men. That so that is going to be your proposal. No, my proposal is that I'm not – I'm not asking you for $20,000 for the women and $20,000 for the men. I'm asking you for $40,000 for the bike race. That's it. There's, it's not 20 of this is for the women and 20 of this is for the men. It's for the race. And the women are part of it just like the men are part of it. It's not, you know, it's not two different races. It's not two different properties. It is two different it's, races. Not, I mean, it, and it shouldn't be. You know, it should be one unit, and that's just how it is. You know, it's a um, – do you know that there have been promoters that have been burned by promising that kind of methodology and then the big corporate companies came to a came to that promoter and said, Okay, they were totally different products. They are totally different products, for sure. With totally different fans and uh you know, even different demographics. Um but that doesn't diminish the value of them at all. Like you know, people always talk about viewership numbers, which I hate when we talk about cycling because cycling is such a niche sport and our our numbers, our viewership numbers are never, ever going to be on a scale of, you know, national football or yeah, t- basketball TV broadcasts. And we're talking Tennis? about, yeah, I mean, we're talking about millions of viewers and, uh, you know, in cycling, we're talking about hundreds of thousands in most markets. Um which I could record a six second video of a dog yawning and get that many views, you know, in a second. So it's not about numbers and it's never going to be about numbers. It's about the quality of, of viewer that's watching these things that you can then sell to marketers. Uh, it's not about the number of viewers in women cycling, but it's about the fact that women cycling viewers are incredibly dedicated. They're incredibly motivated and you can really make a connection with those people by sponsoring this race and then activating it too. You can't just sponsor a race and think you're going to connect with fans, but uh, your check just went poof. Why? Your check just went poof. Oh. I was getting ready to sign it and guess what? Poof, it's gone. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to overpromise. I'm not going to overpromise to marketers that look that it's going to be all about numbers and you know we're going to deliver these insane viewership numbers because like we're not and it's just not all the marketing in the world is not going to get eight million people in the United States to tune into cycling on a you know on a Tuesday night in prime time. Uh, you get killed in, in you know if you went on on broadcast, but My Bachelor. Uh, yeah, exactly. A, a, a rerun <laughs> of the Big Bang Theory does better than the Tour de France, <laughs> like repeatedly. The hot, dense space. No, so at, at like one thirty in the morning, a Big Bang Theory rerun will do better than any Tour de France stage has ever done on NBC, which is like, so you just, you don't compete on that, on that metric. You're not going to compete in that sphere. Uh, but I do think cycling offers very high quality customers to be marketed to. 
Um, and it's a great way to, to build a relationship with those customers. So that's the pitch for women's cycling. It's not about the numbers. It's not about the viewership. It, it's not about that metric. It's about being able to connect with people on something that they love, which is cycling, uh, women's cycling for a lot of people out there. Yeah. And to counter that, you're exactly right. Um, and the reason why we're having that dialogue, because it's true, you know, me being a small business owner and Brad being a, a you know, passionate potential entrepreneur, it's like I'm looking at it from one angle, Brad's looking at it from the same angle, same angle, but we both agree that cycling fans, men and women, are very passionate and A, they're very, they're, they're educated and they're, and they're um, smart. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because they will find any way and any mean possible to watch a bike race. Yeah, exactly. Like, they will find any way. They will, they will find the tent. They will, they will click pop-ups for four hours to watch yep. Zero. See, and there, there are so many marketers out there that could benefit from building a relationship with that type of consumer. You have to remember, not every marketing campaign or advertising campaign is about reach and frequency. They're not all about, let's get our logo in front of as many people as possible, or let's get our mm-hmm. name heard as many times as possible. And if that's the kind of campaign you're after, you know, the, uh, sponsoring anything inside, uh, doing a direct mail campaign or whatever to to directly reach those people. But if you're really just trying to to up the number of people that that see the brand or see the product, then yeah, of course, um, cycling is not the way to go. But if you're trying to build relationships with consumers that are passionate and dedicated and buy things, then you know, cycling is where it's at. Cycling is a great way to do it. Totally agree. Yep. Interesting. Well, so Brad and I have obviously talked about Crossnats, Katie Compton, and uh, Stephen Hyde. Tour down under. Some of our thoughts. We just kind of briefly wanted to go over that, talking about the heat, the acclimatization. And then, of course, we go into how cool it was that uh, there was equal prize money for both the men and the women at the Tour down under. Uh, and Brad, let's kind of kickstart 2018. Um, from a uh, from a United States cycling scene, because a lot of the people that watch our podcast are from the U.S. and um, you know we've obviously got the, the the several big races, you know California, Colorado, Utah, um, the national championships obviously coming up in Chattanooga, uh, but there's some other big races that 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 start kind of getting on the radar here. Um, you and I aren't really thinking about it. We actually even when we when we we said, um, see you later in, in Reno. We were like, when's the next time, you know, we'll be working together. And I think it's probably, can't even think when it would be. Uh, yeah. The early season stuff, I guess, uh, Redlands, maybe you're going back to Redlands. Is it Redlands or is it going to be, Oh no, it might be sunny King or Aniston. Yeah. Yeah. Aniston will be the first one for me for sure. That'll be my first crit of the year. Uh, I think it's April 7th and 8th. Yep. Um, that's a pretty that's a pretty cool race for those of you. Uh, it's kind of a hidden gem down in the Alabama, um, NASCAR country. Ironically enough, Dude, but that's the, coming up. The uh, riding there is. Have you ever been mountain biking there? They have these awesome mountain bike trails, like just outside of Anniston, uh, like on the mountain that uh, that the road race goes over, uh, or used to go over. I guess. Um, yeah, I would have never guessed the middle of Alabama had. It's a gem for yeah, mountain biking. It's a, it's a cool spot for sure. If I end up going down there, I'm taking my mountain bike versus my road bike. I would, I would highly recommend that. I think. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, and obviously the national championships coming up in um, 
Gosh, when is the national championships? Uh, for road? Yeah. Uh, May? No, pro road is in June. June? Uh, no. Yeah, June. Oh, Joe Martin. And Joe Martin. Yeah, Joe Martin is after Sonny King. That's another big yeah. stage race for both the men and the women. Sonny King is both for the men and the women. Then you've got, to, of course, uh, the granddaddy of them all, uh, Athens Twilight, and then Redlands. So that's, you know, April usually is a pretty hot month for bicycle racing. I guess the big question is, is what percentage of those are going to be streamed? And I think pretty much all of them. Uh, Joe Martin, I don't know if Joe Martin streams or not. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Joe Martin does. Sonny King, I know we have a stream. We have a we do a great stream at Sonny King. Um, Athens will be streamed as part of the USA Crits thing, I assume. Um, yep. Yeah, no Joe Martin, unfortunately. And then another cool one, right? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, my, my other cool event in April is uh, Red Hook Crit. Uh, oh, that's right. Last weekend that's in the, April. Where is that one? In Brooklyn. That's the OG Red Hook. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is cool. It's uh, you know, it's much more of a party than it is a bike race, and you definitely go for the party and not for the bike racing. Um, a lot like Athens. It has a very, very similar vibe to Athens, uh, just with the crowd and the drinking and the partying and the whole thing. Um, That's bike racing for you. So, yeah, if you've never been. Get on up there. When yeah. is that? Uh, Red Hook, I think it's the twenty. It's either the twenty eighth or 29th of April. Ah, I so think. that's Athens Twilight Weekend. Oh wow, that's two cool bike races at the same time. Yeah, awesome. Well, good. All right. Well, Brad, how long have we been hammering away at this? I'm gonna guess fifty one minutes. Uh, we've been on the Skype call fifty three minutes, and wow, not I think bad. so. I think we've probably been recording like uh, somewhere around ten minutes, forty minutes, or something like that. Oh, uh, okay. Not sure. Well, cool. All right. Well, that's uh. Anything that you want to interject before we launch, put this bad boy up on SoundCloud? Uh, no, can't wait for crit season. That's uh, I'm just going to be dreaming about crits for the next two months. Is that facetious or is that true? No, de- dead serious. I love crits, man. I'm Mr. Criterion. You know that. Easy. Easy. All right, well, I am too. Because you guys know I love doing crits as well, so maybe we'll—you'll see two super passionate guys hammering away at uh, the microphone, whether it's on stage or on the live stream. Yeah. So that's going to do it for our podcast here for Total Cyclist. For Brad Soner, I am Chad Andrews. You can check us out on Twitter at Brad Soner and at the Chad Andrews. Same thing on the Instagram. Hope you guys have a great day. See you on our next podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us on our Total Cyclist Summit and podcasts. Head on over to TotalCyclist.com. Check out more great information on coaching, training, summits, and podcasts. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.